You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As we talked about on last week's show, 2006, there was just so much that occurred and so many what-ifs tied to it and so much to talk about that I was going to break it up and add more onto Monday's show. So we're going to do some more 2006. We're going to continue looking at transactions. Um, there were so many of those to talk about. And then with what time is left at the end, we're going to go back and talk about that 2006 draft a little bit more because that is a draft where the Indians had so many picks in the top 100 and came away with very little to show for it. Okay, so more 2006 talk. Let's, uh, I warned that this could be a long one. Should we? Let's lead off to the beginning of the week. Let's talk about the positive. 2006, they did make two good moves in terms of uh, everything that occurred over this year and two-day period. Those two positive moves were thanks to the Seattle Mariners. They made their infamous trading two parts of a platoon, Broussard and Perez, to the Mariners for Astrubo Cabrera and Sin Chu Chu. I mean, that could be a what-if scenario just for the the Mariners this season. Uh, Perez had been a free agent signing of kind of minor note. So it's kind of crazy that they were able to get both those players. I still don't know if that balances out um, the rest of that season, how bad so many of those decisions were and what it ended up doing. Uh, And like I said, we we have some other things to talk about because this is just the the beginning of some of the moves they made over this year and two days. And we haven't even gotten to why I specifically made it a year and two days yet. But let's let's give them the positives. Let's give them that they made two spectacular trades. Uh, The problem is during that run, they made one spectacularly bad trade um, and several uh, mediocre at best trades. Uh, So let's talk about another one that really went pretty poorly. Trading away Bob Wickman for Max Ramirez. They then later flipped Max Ramirez for uh, Kenny Lofton at the end of his run. This is a team that did not have any pieces in place to replace him. And that's why we end up in 2007 with Joe Borowski at the back of the Indians bullpen, leading the American League in saves with an ERA over five. He was a terrible reliever who I don't, I mean, it's just mind boggling that he stayed in that role, that they did not, that what, again, Eric Wedge was not a good manager, which was shown when he uh, was given opportunities outside of Cleveland, but he kept a guy in a role who was not good at a role. He wasn't. Like, plain and simply, he was not good at that closer role. He was not a good reliever, and he stayed in that role. Wickman was signed through 2007 at that point in time. When they traded him, he would go on, and how would he do in 2007 compared to his other years with the Indians? Uh, 2007 with Atlanta, he was a good pitcher. He appeared in 49 games. Uh, had an ERA of 392. He had an ERA FIP of 434. Like, he's not great, but he's good, and he is better than Joe Borowski was. Like, that is an upgrade right there. So they make this trade. They get uh, an interesting prospect who never turns into anything. But for a team that in 2005 had finished second in the division and had all of these pieces, why they decide to tear it down makes almost no sense. Uh, trading away your closer, ugh. Like I said, he would have been. And then it just—it's the whole throwing money at a problem, right? So again, this is the trail of how things go. They trade away Wickman. They go out. They sign Borowski. Then they give Kerry Wood big money. None of this works out well. Let's talk about a minor trade that might have hurt them even more. 
Uh, two days before the Wickman trade, they traded Mike Adams to the San Diego Padres for Brian Sikorsky. I don't know why. Sikorsky was a right-handed pitcher who was 31 years of age who had not been effective for uh, San Diego. He had pitched. He had not pitched before before the 2006 season. He had appeared in the majors in 2000, and then nothing. So he comes back in 2006 and is ineffective, and the Indians are like, let's trade Mike Adams away. If you don't remember Mike Adams, that's fair. He had debuted in 2004 with the Brewers and had been a good pen arm in both 2004 and 2005. He gets hurt in 2006, but in 2004 and 2005, you're talking about a very strong pen arm, uh, a guy who had been with worth a win uh, in 2004 alone. Uh, that year he had a 340 ERA and a low walk rate and an okay strikeout rate. The walk rate jumps in 2005 and he does not, he only pitches about 13 innings. There's some injury issues. I'm trying to remember if they began in 2005. I believe they did. And it kind of carries over. So he doesn't pitch at all in 2007. And again, the Indians got a guy who pitched part of uh, Brian Sikarski, who pitched a little bit for them and nothing else. Adams finally comes back with the Padres in 2008 and has a 248 ERA. The next year, it's a 176 ERA. The next year, he has a 147 uh, ERA. The year after that is a 327 ERA, a 396, and a 289. So for the next seven seasons, he uh, turns into a very good reliever. Low walk rates, uh, career walk rate of 2.8. Strikeout rate for his career over nine. He is a very good back-end arm. 2009 in particular, he's a 523 ERA plus. Uh, his FIP that year was 166. I mean, his his FIP was 166. Next year's a 231 uh, FIP. He's really good. He's one of the best relievers in baseball. And the Indians gave him up for a 31-year-old who was pitching in the majors for his first time in six years. Just a head-scratcher. Uh, why not hold on to the guy who's hurt and has some productivity over a guy who is not pitching well? and is already in his 30s. I I don't understand that one at all. And while the Wickman one hurts, the Mike Adams one, when you look at it, is much more devastating to the Indians because they would have had multiple years of control, whereas Wickman was one more season. So yeah, the Mike Adams trade on July 18th, one of those deals you might not even realize happened, but it was a bad one. It set the team back, and that makes two uh, really, really terrible deals at that deadline for the... uh, for the Indians trading away a pair of relievers getting basically nothing back for a team that would then struggle to find relief help uh, the that it's not even counting the the uh, Brandon Phillips deal not the Phelps deal uh, and then yeah, as you go through it's like Ronnie Belliard trading him away when they have nothing to replace him nothing at all then they start chasing you know the Barfield deal and the DeRosa deal which has them trading away all-stars um, or not all. Well, the Barfield deal wasn't all stars. It was just all stars in the the DeRosa deal. But they're trading those guys away and not getting, you know, trading away future valuable major leaguers and not getting production in return. For the Cardinals that year, he would struggle. But Belliard in 2007 would have a 100 OPS plus, a 759 OPS. He'd have a 123 OPS plus in 2008 with an 845 OPS and a 105 OPS plus with a 776 OPS in 2009. He was a free agent to be, which is why the Indians were okay. Um, Part of the reason why they traded him off, but he would leave Cleveland and 
Okay, so this is, I mean, it's 2007 through 2010. His contract paid him 750000 1.6, 1.9, 825000 The Indians could have afforded to keep Ronnie Belliard. He got nothing in free agency. Or even after making the trade where they got Hector Luna, who was a, just a utility guy at best, um, they could have re-signed Belliard in free agency on a, you know, these are, the most belly I'd ever made in a season was $4 million. I mean, he was an absolute steal in free agency. Instead, they went out and they got Barfield, and then they didn't have any backup when he didn't work out. Um, then they would go out and trade for DeRosa, and, you know, they're still trying to figure out, like, their second base and their third base situations in these deals. You know, moving Astrubal Cabrera around, trying to figure out what they're going to do there. And all of it just leads to this team, like I said, uh, compounding errors. Our sponsor today is Built Bar. They have been our fantastic sponsor. I got my new order from them. I really like the banana. Uh, the Just like the double chocolate banana, I think is what it's called directly. What's nice about that one is it tastes like banana. It doesn't taste like that artificial banana. Like, I mean, I, I'm someone who likes banana and artificial banana, but uh, it, it legitimately tastes like banana. It's not something that has that artificial fake banana taste that a lot of people don't like. The German chocolate cake is another one that I got in the mail, and... Uh, Again, it feels like you're getting all of the bits and pieces of a German chocolate cake in there, but instead you're getting, you know, under five grams of sugar and uh, you're getting more fiber than you get sugar and you're getting a good chunk of protein in there. And again, I, I will just state as someone like me who is gluten free, getting a bar that is actually moist and I can eat without feeling like I'm chewing and chewing and chewing is such a big thing. And that is part of the reason why I love Built Bar so much on top of them being our fantastic sponsor. Um, anything I eat, my small child wants to try. So I gave her a little corner of one, like the littlest bit, like not even like fingernail sized. And she was like, yum, yum, yum. This is yum, 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 yum. So that's about the best uh, advertisement I can give is uh, even the little one who's a picky eater enjoyed the Built Bar. Just go over to Built Bar, B-U-I-L-T, Bar, B-A-R.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and get 10% off your order today. If you order more than one box, then you get uh, an additional 7% off. So there is a really strong deal in there. BuiltBar.com. Our other great sponsor today is 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him both on and off the field. Widely regarded as one of the greatest players and athletes in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages this lifetime experience, meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and co-author John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field or on any baseball on the field or just looking for a great Father's Day gift, 24 is an inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. So let's get back into it. I know, this has been fun, right? So the Indians go through. They make some uh, some waiver deals. Enar Diaz, Enar Diaz leaves town uh, in that year uh, we talked already about that in November that is when the Barfield trade happens and then kind of the the final kick in the pants that January 29th uh, situation that I talked about that is the day when the Baltimore waiver Baltimore waivers wow <laughs> sorry everyone the Baltimore Orioles selected Jeremy Guthrie off waivers from the Cleveland Indians he would go on to have a career war of 18.4 a good career um Maybe a little overrated at peak, but he was a solid, steady, kind of like 3-4-5 type of guy. But what stands out with Guthrie, and here's the thing. 
I don't blame them as much as with Guthrie as I do with with Brandon Phillips because Phillips did have production. There were some signs. Guthrie had looked terrible in every opportunity they'd given him, and he hadn't even been good in the minors in a while. I don't know what happened there. I don't know how he figured it out. He was such a good prospect. You go back and you read about uh, the Moneyball book. They talk about Guthrie, how he was like the number one uh, pitcher on the Oakland uh, A's board, or you know, or near the top. He was like one of the top. Uh, college pitchers. They liked him. They knew the Indians were going to take him. Guthrie, uh, like I said, they, they lose him essentially for nothing, and he turns into a, a reliable workhorse pitcher. And for the longest time, I mean, after CC Sabathia, their most productive first-round pick was Guthrie, and almost none of it came with the Indians. And for a long, basically until you got to like Chisholm they didn't have a first-rounder who did anything. Like, that was such a huge problem for the Cleveland Indians as an organization. They were so, so bad in drafting that it was almost comical. Like, I've done pieces on this. I've talked about it on the show at length. But for the longest time, Guthrie was the Indians' number one first-round pick since C.C. Sabathia. And he held that title for longer than he should. So that's kind of the the bookends of this year. The, The... Year begins with trading for Andy Marte because they need a, a third baseman long term, and they give up a top prospect in the year. They give up some relief help. They do make two smart trades, um, but it on the whole, it, it's kind of a year of what ifs. If they just stand pat, I cannot get past the possibility that having Phillips over Barfield, having Kuzminov on your bench, having Andrew uh, Brown in your pen, and then. You know, maybe you. We're not going to even worry about if they make the Marte deal or not, because again, I can't fault them on that. But even if you have Kuzminov and he's not getting regular at bats, that's another trade asset. Maybe you can use that to help that pitching staff. Uh, there's, there's a lot of paths to success, and uh, 2006, you're a year that kind of hurts. And I know there's probably a few people out there. I'm just going to kind of jump in at this point and talk about this. Well, the Indians, yes, they traded away uh, Phillips, and then they. Let the traded away Belliard, so they traded away the top two guys on their second base depth chart, and then they made a trade for, for Barfield, and that didn't work out. But in 2007, Astrubal Cabrera stepped in, and they're fine. Yes and no. He did step in, and he was very good for them in that position, but they still had 2006 and half of 2007 where they had no set second baseman, where Brandon Phillips would have 100% been an upgrade, Ronnie Belliard would have 100% been an upgrade. And then what happens with Astrubal Cabrera, you have to remember, and why I keep talking about the Mark DeRosa deal, is he shifts to shortstop. The Indians trade for DeRosa in 2009, giving up, you know, uh, Chris Archer. It's a pretty significant piece. At the time, I cannot blame them. That's one of those trades you go, well, good luck. Archer had such control problems in the lower minors. Um, maybe he doesn't turn into anything for the Indians. Maybe the Cubs just coached him perfectly. Who knows? But going out and getting Archer to fill that hole, or Archer, going out and getting DeRosa to fill that hole at second base because they move Estrubal Cabrera to short, move Peralta to third because the 2008 seasons when they trade Casey Blake away because he's a free agent to be. So then they are, again, trying to find someone who can play second base. DeRosa comes in 2009. Uh, not much luck there. He gets traded away partway through the year, uh, which nets them uh, Chris Perez. So then the next year, we have Luis Valbuena is the primary starter in 2010. In 2011, the primary starter is uh, Orlando Cabrera. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing a point here that the second base position, uh, essentially, the minute Belliard left, became completely destabilized. Uh, 
Phillips could have easily filled that time if they had not done this. And it basically was not until Jason Kipnis that they got any consistency at second base for those Cleveland Indians. As I talked about earlier in the show, let's talk a little bit more about the 2006 draft because the Indians had so many picks in the top 100, but it was their day three picks that really shined for them uh, in general and saw the value for them in that draft. So let's start out talking about uh, David Huff. Now, this was their first round pick that they got as a supplemental pick for signing uh, for Bob Howery signing away. Now, David Huff had an interesting journey. Yes, he's a UCLA pitcher, but he didn't start there, uh, didn't even come close to starting there. He went to UC Irvine, to Cypress College, and then uh, back to, or I should say, to UCLA. He was actually drafted in the 19th round in the 2005 draft, which was the pre, you know, he gets taken in 2006 by the Phillies based on his JUCO uh, numbers. Phillies could have signed him. This is back when there was no max amount of money or pool money devoted to the draft. The Indians instead get Huff. And when you look at just statistical performance, it's hard to hate that uh, pick. Why? He's one year at a at major college pro at a major college program. You know, one of the bigger name uh, college programs. And at UCLA, he has a, a walk rate under two, a strikeout rate over nine. He's productive. Uh, I would have had no problem with that pick then, and it's hard to have a problem with it now in the grand scheme of things. While he was not a good major leaguer, he stuck around in the majors for a while and had 10 years in the majors, uh, 120 games pitched in. Uh, I, I can't hate on the David Huff pick. It's just maybe it wasn't the most productive, but again, this is one of those drafts where I kind of look back and a lot of teams just did not draft well in 2006. Now, Huff was taken with pick uh, 39. There were 44 picks in the first round that year. There were two productive major leaguers taken after him, future Indian Chris Perez and Joba Chamberlain, uh, who would also be a future Indian. I kind of forgot about that for a second. But those are the most productive guys. And both those guys are ones that their value seemed to kind of peak in one year. And then after that, uh, it steady declined and was more closer to average. Of course, anything with the 2006 draft is most interesting. We talk about the Indians because they had four picks in that round. They ended up with the 12th pick in the second round, which they got from the Rangers as compensation for the Rangers, signing Kevin Millwood. That's where they took Stephen Wright uh, out of the University of Hawaii. We've already talked about how that was a shame to have let him go, uh, basically getting nothing in return. From the Cubs, they got the 13th pick, which was also compensation for Bob Howery. So that makes two picks for losing Bob Howery. Josh Rodriguez, shortstop out of Rice. Scroll a little bit further down. They had their own pick at 25 overall, where they took Wes Hodges out of Georgia Tech. And then with the 31st pick in that round, they got a supplemental pick for the loss of Scott Ellerton, and they took Matt McBride out of Lehigh University. So we go through this entire second round. There was some value there. One pick before McBride, for instance, John Jay, who has carved out a long, successful career as a, a borderline starter. Uh, sometimes a good outfielder, sometimes a backup, but he's still out there uh, accumulating value. Justin Masterson out of uh, San Diego State University went to the Red Sox with the 27th pick. Trevor Cahill, who's still bouncing around the bigs, was the 22nd pick that year. Brett Anderson uh, went to the Diamondbacks with the 11th pick in the second round. And Chris Tillman, who had a few okay seasons, another one of those guys who kind of struggled under the Baltimore developmental pitching uh, situation, he went with the fifth pick of the second round to the Seattle Mariners. 
So there was some value, but there's not, as I went through that list, obviously there's no stars in that. I think the highest, John Jay has accumulated the most value. Uh, some of those arms just had a hard time staying healthy. So the Indians, yes, they, they struck out, but they also didn't miss on you know future great talent. Uh, the biggest names in the third round in terms of value, Zach Britton and Joe Smith, future Indian. Uh, Zach McAllister is in the top five in terms of the third round of value, another future Indian. Who did the Indians take in that round with the uh, 25th pick? Adam Davis out of the University of Florida. It's okay. I had forgotten about him as well. So what we're seeing here is, in general, a draft that, as I've talked about, had its ups and downs but the Indians had so many picks you'd hope that they'd get one guy who was more than you know a flash in the pan or a backup but that just didn't occur and that's that's another one of the setbacks and part of the problem was just their insistence on taking the low cost gamble I don't know if that's exactly how to phrase it but it wasn't until really they changed scouting directors in around 2011 that we saw them or uh, not scouting directors but uh, who was in charge of the draft basically and start taking risks and now they're one of the teams that take the most risks in the draft but I've come to the conclusion over the years that when it comes to a low ceiling talent it actually the chance of a payoff for it is pretty low and the reason you're not going to get as much value from a low ceiling talent is because they have such small margins that those guys have to be exactly what you think they are like if, if a player you draft is supposed to have a good hit tool and he instead has an average hit tool and everything else is a below average skill then all of a sudden that's not a starter anymore or if all the skills are average across the board but then power doesn't quite develop as you think then again that guy can't make it you need some of the louder tools and yes that also means that there's a lot more chance to get no value at all from those players but i think sometimes we confuse safety with um with safety in terms of guaranteed value and that doesn't always occur when it comes to baseball and the draft uh this 2006 one as we talked about it was just the the interesting thing of it is who are the best players the indians took chris archer who was the high ceiling high school kid out of clayton high school in uh clayton north carolina i mean far and away he is the most valuable player he has more uh baseball reference war than the indians next three players combined at this point in time the next most valuable player, Josh Tomlin out of Texas Tech, who in many ways you could probably, if I went and dug up the stats, was very similar to uh, David Huff, I bet, because you look at Huff's numbers, it's everybody uh, it can miss bats in college. And Tomlin, I bet, missed some bats. We know we didn't walk anyone. And that was kind of Huff's calling card. Vinny Pistano out of Cal State Fullerton. And then the uh, fourth best value is Stephen Wright, who... He had that one great year, and that's kind of where it's been for him. And I think sometimes Vinny Pistano is one of those names who we think of most because that's who we got Mike Clevenger for. But, man, at peak, Vinny Pistano was a really good reliever for the Cleveland Indians. So just uh, don't sleep in terms of that or on him. And the rest of this draft you go through, it's just, I mean, even the guys, they don't sign. There's not a lot that uh, I go through, and they even ring any bells or eventually became major leaguers in their own right. It was uh, an interesting draft. Again, this is one where the Indians had five picks in the top 101, and I'm sorry, six picks in the top 101, and four of those six made the majors. That's a pretty good uh, hit rate, but the part of that is of the four of the six that hit the majors, 
three of them ended up with negative uh, values by baseball reference war uh, in terms of guys who played in a, you know over 100 games that's only David Huff Stephen Wright is at all of 81 games uh, and Wright never even appeared with the Indians in the majors and while Josh Rodriguez did appear in seven games I don't think that was with the Indians either so yes four of six made it to the big leagues I think only two of them ever played in the big leagues with the Indians and the Indians actually ended up getting zero uh, according to baseball reference war value out of the players that did make it to the majors with them so just kind of another interesting study into this 2006 year of what ifs longer show even with it split up so thank you all for listening rating and reviewing all of that stuff I greatly appreciate it you help keep this show alive during these uncertain times Uh, it's a nice outlet I will be honest, in a chance to talk about baseball, I'm enjoying digging into the history, and I always love hearing from each and every one of you through email, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it, it, all of that is greatly appreciated as well. As always, you are awesome. I have been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. I'm going to do a quick little note on that. So if you're curious about the draft, I don't have the time to write up everyone this year. So I'm going to do, I have my mock all laid out. I'm going to do videos that correspond with the picks. So you can sit there and I will talk about it because it's quicker for me to to do that than to write it. Now, that's not going to be everything. It doesn't mean my writing is done forever. Uh, But for this next mock, I'm going to do a video accompaniment of it. So look for that. Again, you can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. The Indians have two picks in the first round. It's an important draft for them in those regards. Uh, And remember, as always, go Tribe!